Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our Father, we've been uh, singing of the great gospel of your Son, the, the gospel that changes and transforms us and gives us that wonderful hope of endless uh, peace. We pray, Heavenly Father, as we think about that great salvation that you have for us, the salvation that will become uh, in its fullness at the end of time, that as we look at that this morning, it would change how we live each day today and all the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please do sit down. Well, no, I know there are a number of visitors among us. Again, you're, you're very, very welcome, and it's uh, brilliant uh, to have you uh, with us. Uh, you, you won't know that we've been working through um, a particular section of uh, Isaiah from chapter 13 to 27. We come right to the end of that series uh, this morning, and in many ways you've come at a great time because it really sums up all that we've been doing uh, over these uh, past weeks. So I'd encourage you, if you would, to turn your Bibles to uh, the reading that we had read for us earlier. Page 709 is the page number in the Church Bibles, and it's Isaiah chapter 26. It was the greatest moment for 77 years in the history of British men's tennis, and I didn't see it. As the drama was unfolding two weeks ago with Andy Murray battling against Novak Djokovic in the cauldron that was Wimbledon Centre Court, I was preaching at our church plant, Christchurch Enclyffe. Uh, some were very generous to me, calling my willingness to go and preach on that day a wonderful commitment to the cause of the gospel. In truth, it was just bad planning. Uh, when I agreed to go earlier in the year, I hadn't realised that it was men's finals day. Anyway, by the time I got home, the match was finished. Andy Murray had won. I'd heard that on the radio on the way home. And so I decided to uh, watch it on the red button as the BBC was replaying the entire match over and over and over again. Can you blame them? We'd waited 77 years. Anyway, I tell you all this because while I was watching the match, the strangest thing happened. I had the, the weirdest sensation. I knew the result... And yet, as I watched the rerun, at key points in the match, I found myself feeling nervous and anxious, as if the, the result was in doubt, wondering if he'd win this time. As my pulse raced, I told myself, calm down, he wins, it's okay, you can relax, just enjoy it. It was an odd sensation. Now, that is a little example of what seems to be going on here in Isaiah chapters 26 and 27. Here, as we look at the end of time, the Lord tells us the result. He lays out for us how things are going to work out at the end of time. And in short, if I may put it this way, he wins. Now, knowing that should make all the difference in the world as we go through all the struggles and tensions of life now. Uh, knowing the outcome doesn't mean that we won't feel anxious and nervous at times. But as we're going through life, when we do feel anxious, we can tell ourselves, it's okay. We know the result. God wins. Chapters 26 and 27 of Isaiah should do that for us. The short phrase that is repeated throughout this, uh, the, these verses is there in chapter 26, verse 1. In that day. Now, we're not going to really look much at 20, chapter 27, but you'll see it, it comes again in 20, 27, verse 1, verse 2. And verse 12, in that day. That day is a, a single point that the whole of human history is converging upon. A day which has been determined by God in advance. Elsewhere, the Bible calls it judgment day. And here we are taken to that day to help us through 
this day, today, and any day that we call today. Is he coming where it does in Isaiah? This should give us confidence to remain faithful to the Lord now and not to look to other things for our security. That's been the recurring message of this section of the book of Isaiah. Through his prophet, the Lord has been telling his people, don't trust the, Lord, the world for your future and for your security. The world is going to be judged. So turning to the world for safety and security will give you no future at all. Yet despite being told that repeatedly in these past weeks, it's still not easy to trust the Lord through all the struggles of life. And that's why these final two chapters of this section are so very helpful for us. When the world comes bearing down upon us, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if there are a number of people here who've turned up this morning uh, feeling weighed down by the world. As the world comes bearing down upon us, these chapters should give us all the encouragement we need to remain faithful to our God, knowing that in the future we remain faithful to him. In the future we will be with him and he wins. Well, as we look more closely now at the text, see first that on that day, here's the first point if you're taking notes, on that day, the Lord's people will sing of God's security. This is verses 1 to 11 of chapter 26. On that day, the Lord's people will sing of God's security. Right through these last four chapters of this section, that is chapter 24 to 27, God's people are rejoicing and singing, and especially here in chapter 26. You see it in verse 1, in that day... This song will be sung in the land of Judah. A couple of years ago, Robbie Williams released an album called Sing When You're Winning. That's what we do. We sing when we're winning, when things are going well. At football matches, it's the supporters of the winning team that sings. At the moment, at the Ashes, we're singing because we're winning. Uh, I I should have said that earlier, but um, Andrew Reese was here earlier, our Australian colleague, and uh, I forgot to say it. Uh, So perhaps you could pass it on to him. Uh, We're singing because we're winning. We've got to keep saying it because it doesn't happen very often. It'll be no different on that final day when God is seen to triumph, uh, finally to triumph, to win, his people will be singing. Singing his praises and declaring all that he's done for us. And so, verse 1, in that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God makes salvation. It's walls and ramparts. Do you see there, the first thing God's people sing about is how secure they feel. Because that's been a big issue right through this section of Isaiah. God's people feeling insecure in this world. Tempted to run to all manner of other things to give us the security that we need. And the Lord telling them through this section... Trust me and me alone. Run to me for your security and safety. And here's why he's been saying that. Because here at the end of time, God's people will know total security. Can you imagine never having another trouble in your life? Can you imagine being blissfully happy about everything all the time? Can you imagine never feeling anxious about the future? Just imagine that. It is hard to imagine because it's so not our experience in this world. There are all manner of things in this life to make us feel anxious. Turn on the television news and even if you feel okay when you turn it on, 30 minutes later when you turn it off, you'll soon realise there's plenty of things to be worried about in this world. There's so much in this broken world that leaves us feeling concerned. But here's a brilliant thought. On that day, that day of final judgment, God's people will feel safe and totally secure. 
they sing, verse 1, we have a strong city. And what makes it strong is not good building materials or great construction, but do you see it there, verse 1? God's salvation. That's where our protection comes from, both now and in the future, the salvation of our God. That's what this baptism has been about. Uh, It points to forgiveness and peace with God through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Death defeated through his resurrection. Reconciliation with our God. And as God comes in judgment, therefore safety, because we're on his side. Complete and utter safety that all evil has been eradicated. And so, in short, on that day, a secure eternity will begin, safe in the glorious new heavenly Jerusalem. That's the strong city that is spoken of here in verse 1, the strong city of salvation. And that salvation in that city is open to anyone who will call on the Lord. Verse 2, open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You see, the city of salvation is a place that is populated by the people who have kept faith. People who've kept going with the Lord. People who've called upon the Lord to be their salvation. That, of course, is what we've been praying for Holly and Kirsty in this service already. That they would be part of the people of God who would trust him and trust him alone. And therefore, that they too would be safe. Anybody who does that can come in and be safe in that city. And in that safe city, there is perfect peace, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Peace of mind, being at ease, knowing that all is well. Just think about it. Occasionally I have it for a very brief moment, perhaps when I'm on holiday, when I've switched off, forgotten about work, when I'm lying by the pool with the sun beating down, when I've not heard the the news for a few days and and the children are happily playing together. Then just for a moment, for the briefest moment, I have total peace of mind. I would love to bottle it because it doesn't last. Because as we've already thought, that isn't reality. In this world, life isn't well all the time. And even if the sun is shining today, we know there are storm clouds brewing for tomorrow. Now, that was certainly true of the first readers of this prophecy for the people of Judah. Remember, they were a small nation. They felt vulnerable. They were understandably fearful of other nations around them, fearful of being overrun by those other nations. Our situation is not so different. It may not be other nations that strike fear into our hearts, but there are many things in this world that cause us fear. Certainly as Christians in this world, there are many things that will make us anxious and fearful. Uh, Things that weigh on our mind, things that keep us awake at night, things that are, are looming there in the future, making us feel uneasy. That's why the promise of verse 3 is so wonderful. Perfect peace, peace of heart and mind. That's the future. That's what that day holds for us if we put our trust in the Lord this day. Because, verse 4, the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. The rock, uh, I think it's one of my favourite biblical descriptions of our God. The rock is solid, immovable, certain and sure. Go out to the Peak District and go and stand on one of those rocks. When you're on holiday by the sea, go and stand on a rock. Or stand on him, the rock, and we are safe. And safe for eternity, because, verse 4, he is the rock eternal. 
And so being with him finally on that day, there will be nothing to fear. And the solid security we have in Christ is then shown in stark contrast to everyone and everything that appears to offer safety now. For do you see, on that day, verse 5, he humbles those who dwell on high, he lays the lofty city low, he levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Uh, The lofty, the the proud, we've seen them often in these uh, earlier chapters, the lofty, the proud, those who are in high positions in this world now, everything that looks successful and that appears to offer us security now, all that will be humbled on that day. Everything that appears to be so strong and powerful now will be cast down to the dust on that day, verse 5. So, very simply, the Lord wins on that day. And that makes all the difference in the world to us on this day, today. Knowing the final outcome, the result, if you will, makes, us, uh, makes a difference as we go through the struggles and tensions of life now. Look at verse 7 as the people of God begin to now think about today rather than that day. The path of the righteous is level. O upright one, you make the way of the righteous smooth. Now, look, taken out of context, this is a a great example of when you hoik a verse out of context and just, uh, you know, pin it up on a a poster in the the bathroom or something, which is nothing wrong with doing that. But if you take it out of context, it can say anything you like. And taken out of context, verse 7 isn't true, is it? The righteous are those who trust the Lord. And it's just not true to say that the path is level, that the way is smooth for those who trust God. That's just not the case. It's not my experience of the Christian life, and I doubt it's yours either if you've been a Christian more than five minutes. Indeed, quite the opposite. I find when I'm faithful in trusting the Lord, it can make life more rocky and far from smooth. I was speaking to a member of this congregation earlier in the week. She is standing up for the gospel in an environment where there are many who believe other things, and it is costing her. It doesn't make her popular. And it causes her anxiety. Every time she goes into that situation, she's fearful of what's going to come her way, understandably. I find the same when I stand up for the Lord and won't compromise. When I say what is right, the terrain of life seems much harder, not smoother. So look, verse 7 doesn't teach us that following the Lord now is easy. No, put in its context, verse 7 is saying... Whenever I remember that the Lord wins on that final day of judgment, when I remember that, then it is obvious which way I should go. It is a smooth way in that sense. It's just a no-brainer how I should live. Uh, In that sense, the, the way of the righteous is level and smooth. And what does it mean that this level and smooth, straightforward life? Well, it's there in verse 8. We walk in the law of the Lord and wait for him with his name and renown being our heart's desire. Indeed, verse 9, the genuine Christian says to the Lord, my soul yearns for you in the night, in the morning my spirit longs for you. See, that's the Christian life, isn't it? Yearning and longing for the Lord, longing for his his return, yearning to be with him, and meanwhile, verse 8, waiting for him, waiting for him to usher in that day And while we wait, verse 8, living a consistent Christian life, 
That's how verse 7 works. That is straightforward and uncomplicated. In any situation that I'm in, I simply have to live verse 8. Obey the law of the Lord, wait for him, and yearn for him to know him more. That's straightforward and uncomplicated. But it doesn't mean that life in this world is easy. Now, we live in a world where, verse 10, though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and regard not the majesty of the Lord. That makes life tough. That's the reality of life now. We're living among people who, who, who really don't want to know the Lord. I, I, I find verse 10 really instructive. God's grace is abundantly poured out upon all people. Now, what does it say in the New Testament? Jesus says the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. Everybody, Christian or not, is able to enjoy the fantastic weather we've just been having. Everyone who lives enjoys the good things that come from God's hand. Life and love and all the luscious luxuries the Lord loves to lavish upon us. They all come from him. That's verse 10. Grace is shown to the wicked, but it makes no difference to them. They don't turn to the Lord. They don't learn righteousness. They go on doing evil. And the ultimate evil being there at the end of verse 10, having no regard for the majesty of the Lord. And so it's tough living in that environment. You'll feel it at work. I felt it just the other week while I was with some unbelieving friends of mine. Even though God has been very gracious to these friends, they, they have very good lives, very comfortable lives. I'm not saying they haven't lived for it, worked for it, but it's very nice for them. And even though then God has been very gracious to them, they pay him no attention. At times they even have the temerity to have a go at him. And in that environment, living a life of faithfulness to God is not easy. But you see, when we know about that day, when we know that God wins, then when we get anxious, we can tell ourselves, it's okay. He wins. Keep faithful. It all works out okay in the end. That's what God's people are singing about on that day. So that's the first point. The second is much, much shorter. First point, on that day, the Lord's people sing of God's security. Secondly, and much more briefly, on that day, the Lord's people rejoice in God's salvation. This is the rest of chapter 6 from verse 12 through to the first verse of chapter 7. In verses 12 to 19, God's people are rejoicing all the way, all, all the way through these verses. He, they're rejoicing in what the Lord has given them. See, it seems that on that day, the people rejoice not just in what they have, but they rejoice that it's all from the hand of God. That's the constant refrain. Look at verse 12. Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. You know, we've been thinking about this safety and security and peace of mind that we'll enjoy on that day. And they're saying there in verse 12, it all comes from the Lord. It's nothing to do with us. It's all him. That peace and security comes because God's people are released from others who have ruled over them. That's verse 13. Lo, Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us. But, verse 14, those other rulers are now dead. And who delivered God's people from those other rulers halfway through verse 14? You punished them and brought them to ruin. You wiped out all memory of them. Are you beginning to see the pattern of these, this little section? All the way through these verses, God's people acknowledge that everything they have on that day is the result of God's actions. 
And so in verse 15, God's people rejoice at God's kingdom being extended. And who did it? No surprise, the Lord. You have enlarged the nation, O Lord. You have enlarged the nation. You've gained glory for yourself. You've extended all the borders of the land. And then in verses 16 to 19, God's people acknowledge that they had no part in their salvation. So in verse 16, Isaiah remembers a day when God's people turned back to the Lord, but they were in such a state they could barely whisper a prayer. They were so spiritually low they could barely say the words to ask God to help them. They were in pain, verse 17. They writhed around as a woman in labour. But they didn't produce anything. All they brought about was wind, verse 18. And so they acknowledge halfway through verse 18 that as people, they didn't bring salvation to the earth. They couldn't bring any birth to anything. But look what God has done, verse 19. But your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. The point is this. God raises people from the dead. He brings salvation. They couldn't do anything for themselves. He did it all. And so all the way through this section from 12 to 19, all the way through these verses, we see that on that final day, God's people rejoice in what God has done. They realize they can't do anything, which is exactly why we need to trust him. We can't do anything to save ourselves. He brings his people peace. He defeats other rulers. He extends his kingdom. He transforms people in pain and gives them resurrection life. And then right at the end of the chapter, we see that this perfect salvation comes to his people because he punishes all sin and evil. And so in verses 20 and 21, we see what we saw last week, uh, that all sin will be judged. And then in chapter 27 and verse 1, here is the real reason that we can have all this wonderful peace of mind and perfect security. In chapter 27, verse 1, we read this. In that day, the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. The serpent, Satan himself, is punished and slain by God's sword, the powerful word of God. Here, then, is why we why God can deliver on his promise of a world of total security and perfect peace. Because he can and will defeat Satan. Then all evil and all rebellion will be removed for all time. Now on that day the Lord's people then are in no doubt this is all the work of the Lord. And as the book of Isaiah progresses, Isaiah introduces us to the one who will actually do that work Isaiah calls him the servant of the Lord. We know that he is the Lord Jesus. It is through his work and supremely his work of being the suffering servant, his work on the cross, where all this is achieved. Well, look, over the past weeks, as we've looked at this section of Isaiah, the Lord has repeated the same message to us again and again. He has said, Don't turn to the world for security. You will feel insecure in this world. Of course you will. It's a terrible world. But don't think that the luxury and the wealth of this world and everything that this world offers will give you the security that you need. All the way through this section, the Lord has warned us that the world will be judged and completely destroyed by the Lord, as we saw very clearly last week. And this week, 
wonderfully positively, he has painted for us the glorious future of those who trust the Lord. A future in the heavenly New Jerusalem. A future that is safe and secure. A future where we will have total peace of mind all the time. A future where all sin and evil is eradicated forever. A future with our God, the eternal rock. A future where the Lord wins. Knowing that that future is ahead of us should change how we live now. Indeed, giving us all the motivation we need now to trust the Lord alone and not to turn to anything else. And so with our eyes firmly fixed on being in the presence of our God in this glorious heavenly new Jerusalem, right now we should focus and commit to living chapter 26, verse 8. Take this away with you as we close. This is how we should live now, 26 verse 8. Knowing that we're going to go to this final, wonderful, new, heavenly Jerusalem, we should walk in the way of the law of the Lord, wait for him, and make him our heart's desire. Let's pray together. Our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you very much that you have been so kind to uh, give us a picture of what is to come, uh, to tell us what, how the world will end, uh, to tell us that ultimately you win, and that as we trust in you, so we'll enjoy that victory as well. We pray that that would not just be a, a day that we uh, know about in the future, but that it will change the day that we're living in today that we would be those people who seek to know your law and live in the way of it, that we wait for you to return uh, to usher in this glorious day and that you really are the desire of our heart uh, where we yearn for you and long to know you. May these be the things that mark our living day by day and we ask it for your name's sake and for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.